we're going to be reading from is from the book of Hebrews 11, uh, and we're going to read verses 8 through 12. I'll give y'all a moment to get there um, here and also if you're watching online. All right, uh, verse 8 reads, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, who des whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. All right. Um, man, it is my pleasure and honor to be able to be here with y'all, um, mainly to be able to give your uh, beloved pastor, Pastor Bill, a break, uh, a well-deserved time off in this, uh, in this season to be able to rest, recharge, uh, hopefully experience as much renewal as possible. And I want to reiterate what our, our brother just said about a guest preacher, especially if you're new today. If this is your first time, just be very clear in case you're like, yo, this guy's crazy. He's whack. He's terrible. He doesn't know the Bible. I'm only here today and I'm gone. So just keep that in mind. Come back again and then you can uh, hear something that might be more amenable to your taste. But uh, on a more personal note, um, this feels almost like a homecoming for me just Many, many years ago now, it's crazy how fast the time goes, uh, I took my first steps of initially going into formal pastoral ministry back when we had a different name, this larger church family. Um, probably at the time, you know, probably a lot of people wondering, yeah, this does not sound like a good idea because I, I had some issues, but God was very faithful. And so I always hold with dear, um, just affection, this church community, renewal and all the people and just... Uh, be able to even see some of you that I know and just see how God's worked in this church. It's, it's special to me, so this feels different than even just visiting another church. This feels like home. And even on a little bit more of a personal note, as, as Gentry mentioned, um, you know, my, my younger brother's Joe, uh, one of your elders, so uh, that, and that just gives me more reason to love you guys. But, uh, you know, we've been through a hard season, and some of you know that, just our larger family and the reality for me, you know, some of the some of the things I was challenged by was feeling pretty helpless to walk with my brother through a lot of fire. Um, but one of the things that really gave me encouragement was to know know a lot of you, who were his precious, you know, church family. Uh, even when some of his own bi biological family couldn't fully be there for different reasons, to know he was cared for and loved and and walking together in the midst of some really hard roads. So, thank you. Um, just wanted to thank you, and it's encouraging for me to be able to be here with y'all on that note. Um, so as we go into this, I, um, I think about as a Christian, we use, you know, I, I love being a Christian. I mean, I'm up here talking about being Christian, so I love it, but we got some weird stuff about us too. One weird thing is we use some words that you start to realize 
um, yo, the rest of the world doesn't use some of these words. And some of that's really good. You know, we're, we're trying to give new vocabulary. But there's other ones that are a little stranger. Like for me, one of them was secular. Like the word secular, because I grew up thinking that was just a normal word for everyone. Because we used it so much. And it probably explains some of my issues, right? But we used to use the word secular mainly to describe things like the kind of movies you watched uh, that weren't the, like the gospel movies, which were all pretty bad. But, you know, that's a whole other thing. But like, you know, secular movies or secular songs. And some of y'all know, right? You got guilt because you used to listen to it like secretly in the closet by yourself. So your youth pastor doesn't find out you're listening to secular music. Um, but, you know, and that, that might be all real. And I think it's not totally unhelpful. But something as I've wrestled with that idea, something that I think is maybe secular that I observe even among the people of God um, is how we define and measure success. Like when we think about what, what is important, what is, it, what is meaningful, what is successful, if we're not mindful, if we're not careful, if we're not intentional, oftentimes our understanding of what success is, um, it can be more established by the wisdom of this larger age than maybe even the eternal wisdom of God. Um, because however our world might define success, and some of it's helpful, some of it's unhelpful, but I, I, what I want to suggest this morning is that in the countercultural and counterintuitive ways of God and his kingdom, success is measured by what comes behind us. As we see in the title, Legacy. Like, that's one of the ways I think as the people of God we can start to have our views of success and what matters recalibrated. So can I, can I pray for us as we invite the Lord to lead us in this time? Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for this church. I'm thankful, Lord, in many ways, knowing even over the past few years that it's just been a hard time to do ministry for everyone, but even the leaders of all churches. But Lord, to see how you've grown this church and helping to thrive even amidst the very challenging circumstances, Lord, it's a testament to your glory, and we give it all to you. So Holy Spirit, guide us in this time right now, however we come into this place, whatever we're carrying, whatever's in our mind, whatever feels really hard. Do that crazy thing that you do, Holy Spirit, and take one spoken word and, and interpret it in the ways a whole room of people need to hear it to draw us closer to you than when we even stepped in this morning. So we love you, Lord. Thanks for your faithfulness. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So as we think about this idea about success being what's coming behind us, maybe who's coming behind us, I want to be clear. That doesn't mean we don't celebrate tangible fruit that we see today. I think that's appropriate, that's good, um, and, 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 you know, we should ask for that. I think it's good to say, Lord, do something that we can just give you thanks for today. But for me, at least, and maybe for some of you, what keeps us grinding? What keeps us moving? What keeps us fighting and faithfulness to keep going is the knowledge that part of what we're working for today is still to come fully in those who come behind us. Like, we celebrate what's today— but we also faithfully persevere, even when it's really challenging, because we know that what we're investing in, we believe that we're planting seeds for something that we might not even see with our own eyes. Because success is believing as great as the things we are. I mean, this is great. This is epic. I love this. But it's also laying the foundation for even greater things to come. I mean, we observe this in the description of a couple of the pillars of faith in the scriptures as described in Hebrews 11, as we read. Look again, if you got it open, or you can turn to verse 8. 
By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. And it goes on to describe that Abraham and, and Sarah, they took steps to follow God um, in some ways because of what they could see, but in a lot of ways because of what they couldn't see. They took steps to trust the Lord. And, and uh, we all know, if you know the redemptive story, that God have, had a larger redemptive purpose of why he was calling Abraham and Sarah to go forth like this, this family that was to be built in Christ. But along in, in the midst of that larger redemptive story, I, I also believe that he was calling these two and many others in their own journey to cultivate their own faith and their trust in his good character for them to get to know God intimately and know that when he called them to do something, um, some of it's crazy. I mean, some of it's a little insane, but they could trust him because their father's good. His character is ultimately trustworthy because they needed to know this God was good and trustworthy because some of what the Lord was calling them to do was a little nuts. I mean, we see, right, it's described that they left um, what we can assume are comfortable, stable lives, they had built fairly um, successful lives. They uprooted themselves to go live as nomads. Part of what God's call with them was, yeah, I know you built this house. I know you built all that, but you're going to pick it all up, and you go to this place that you don't know where you're going. You're going to become a nomad. You're going to become a sojourner. Verse 9 describes them living in tents. Uh, similar to your church, our church is uh, multi-ethnic, multicultural, and this is really low on the priority list, but one thing I've discovered that's really different cross-culturally is how people have fun. Uh, because in our church, man, people really love to go out in the woods and like camp and be intense. And I'm like, um, I, I don't know. Like, I'd rather stay in a nice posh hotel. And if I, you know, so, I mean, I, I don't mind being in a tent, um, but what I remind our, our folks is, yeah, you know, it's cool for a weekend, rough it, you know, have your back ache and feel like you're communing with the Lord, but, but man, it's different when it's your life. Like Abraham and Sarah were. Because they were being called to live in tents, and however you want to take that, literally not, but basically to be sojourners, not to have a permanent home, not to live in a comfortable space that they could design and impeccably make to their, they were always on the move. It also describes going to foreign lands, and I, and I think there's a part of that that's symbolic, that the Lord is talking about the bigger city to come. I think it's symbolic, but I think it was also their just real reality. It was their, their real existence. They were going as immigrants. And, you know, maybe being the, you know, I'm a proud son of an immigrant family from Korea, so I think, you know, I, I look at this through some different lenses, is whatever we believe about immigration, I mean, it's hard. It's hard, and I think as a kid, you don't fully see all that, but one thing, you know, just as I've been doing more exploring is, I think one of the challenges for immigrants, and maybe some of you even walked through this, it's just the normal existence of survival mode. It's like always feeling like your things could collapse at any moment, and that's just like everyone, I think, but as an immigrant, it's, it's heightened. Like not knowing the culture, not knowing how you uh, interpret things, not knowing if this is the right thing to say, this will get you in trouble. 
I mean, I'm born and raised in this culture with an education, but you walk me through my taxes, and I want to, like, throw myself through a window. Like, I'm not, who the heck is going to understand? You need a PhD in, like, and I, like, the things that kind of stabilize me, like, imagine if you don't even know this language, and you're trying to interpret these things. And sometimes just that sheer reality of always living with that stress of trying to survive, feeling like you're not fully in your place, I mean, that does stuff to you. There's like a trauma, I think, that even comes with that. And, and, you know, as I think about Abraham and Sarah and their family, you got, this is not to justify, they, they, they did some whack stuff, like crazy, like bad stuff, right? But I think I start to give a little bit more understanding that along with just their personal responsibility for sin, maybe some of it is that they were just living a really stressful life as immigrants, as foreigners, trying to survive, trying to make sure they, I mean, in that day, like not get killed because they do the wrong thing. Like, that does something to you. You make bad choices. Going to foreign lands, this was not a, a sojourning vacation for them. This was going forth in faith to something that made their life really difficult and hard. And this whole process of trusting God in this, it revealed their faith, or maybe more accurately, revealed their lack of faith, revealed a lack of areas that they could really trust that God was good. Um, and, and there was a lot of fear, and maybe particularly in God's promise for this inheritance that was reflected in a generation of descendants. Crazy stuff, right? And we see this promise described in verse 11. By faith, even Sarah herself, when she was unable to have children, received power to conceive offspring, even though she was past the age, since she considered that the one who had promised was faithful. And, and you, you know, you Bible nerds here, you know, if you know the story, right? You know, when it says past the age, that's just being real polite because they were elderly. They were like, I mean, yeah, I, I want to be respectful. I mean, they, this, this was beyond the marvels of modern science. Because we, we realized that after about 25 years of waiting, they end up having their child. Abraham was around 100, and Sarah was most likely around 90. This was a hard... <laughs> um, I mean, I just turned 50, right? Um, I can't imagine if I had to raise a child right now. Like, I, I mean, just brushing my teeth sometimes hurts, right? I'm like, 190? Seriously? Like, that's, that's, that's insane. But, but more than just even that, we don't want to minimize these 25 years of hard, painful sojourning. Because God was absolutely faithful to his promise. He was faithful to this promise of this heir from their very own bodies. But it was hard. Some of their bad decisions was because they couldn't fully trust that what God said was true. That we, we better, we have to manipulate this situation. Yo, he, he said from our bodies, but there's got to be a loophole to that, right? And you know, and, and you know, if you're like me, you've realized that when you try to take God's promises and figure out a different way to do it, it usually don't go too well, right? And maybe, maybe you're not like me. Maybe you're smarter than I am. But I, 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 look at, I look at Abraham, and I look at his lack of faith. There's a part of me, when I struggle in my faith, and I don't know if I'm allowed to say that up here, but I struggle in my faith. Sometimes it feels like daily, right? Um, I, sometimes I tell myself, but if you were like Abraham or Moses, 
or these guys who like sat and chill with God, like they seem to actually be able to verbally interact with them. Yo, you would never struggle. It's, it's God's fault for putting you in this time when he don't. But then I look at these jokers from the scripture. Like they communed with the Lord. They know him intimately. They saw these miraculous acts, but they still seem to doubt that what God said was true. They still seem to struggle like epically. They seem to have a really hard time. And just on a side note, um, man, if any of us in here this morning, if you find yourself struggling to trust God, maybe it's even scary to talk about that like at church, right? You feel you're going to get outed as like a heretic. And man, I think that's part of the journey to know that even the big heroes of our faith in the scriptures, they struggled even as they knew God in ways we may never in our own lifetime. And if you're struggling, if you feel like sometimes you get up and you don't even know why you believe anymore, you think you're living a big con, I hope you can be welcomed to God's grace. That there's room for you. There's space for you. And that's not even a sermon. That's just a side note. I just wanted to throw that in there. But as we think about uh, Abe and Sarah, I'm going to guess if I were in their shoes, they, maybe they thought through this whole 25 years of, of journeying, that something maybe was wrong because things weren't happening like they thought it would. Um, I'm sure maybe they were struggling. Yo, do you think we heard God correctly? Maybe, maybe we didn't hear his words right. Maybe, maybe, maybe they're like um, some of us, and they're like, yeah, you know what? God's promises are good. But yo, we must have done something to disqualify ourselves to that. Yeah, God wants to give us these promises, but we must have done something wrong. We must have done something bad. It, it was basically just a really hard journey. Even as God gave promises, he gave them a path. He called them to obedience and faithfulness. Um, the path there, it was really hard. And I would even say it was successful in a sense, because after 25 years, they received the fruit of this boy from their own bodies. But guys, the point is, this was not an overnight success story. It, it, it took 25 years. I mean, for me, I, if I pray a prayer asking God for something, I give him like 10 days. And if it doesn't happen within 10 days, I'm like, come on, God. I mean, you did the whole water splitting thing and food. Come on, you, be, you, can, you can answer this. And I start getting really impatient, but I'm like, 25 years? Good Lord. It's like a whole journey. And I would actually suggest that even though in the end they had this boy, I would suggest that to the world, maybe it didn't look all that successful. Their whole path of obedience and faithfulness and, and hard sojourning, because there was a lot of up and downs. Check out how their legacy, along with others, is described in, in uh, the following verse in, in verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. This is so counter to what our society tells us that we should all do a double take when we read this. Because what it's saying is that Abraham and Sarah and so many others like them throughout the scriptures, they never actually with their very own eyes saw the fulfillment of what they were being faithful for. With their own eyes, with their own senses, even though they knew God was real and he was at work, they didn't see some of what they were grinding and struggling for. This was not the Hollywood ending. 
this was not like you get an hour and a half of movie and it's really hard and you got epic like a denouement of like different struggles and you know but in the end it all wraps up nice and pretty i mean in many ways the scripture that's not the story of it i mean god is good he's absolutely good he's absolutely at work but man sometimes at the end of it you're like is that the way it was supposed to go so it doesn't feel like it's all really wrapped up pretty and, and clean there's still a lot still left mysterious why did that happen why was there that hardship why do we struggle like that because in a lot of ways abraham sarah and others their everyday actions and choices in following god were not for their immediate gratification that they would experience in their own lives but they were making an investment into a deeper longer-term legacy that would go beyond their mortal cases of flesh they were looking even beyond their own lives because i want to put before us this morning guys that living for success is trusting that our choices our beliefs our actions today they're investing into something in the future and success uh, it's living with a legacy in mind and this this is just crazy talk here but you, you guys can appease me right but we may not see the full visible fruit in our lifetime of why we're working hard why we're being faithful why we're loving people and again i, I want to be really clear i'm not saying that there's not some particular joy to be found in the journey itself like i think there's genuine joy in just the struggle of walking that road and following god and the mystery of just keeping your feet going even if you don't see what i think there's genuine joy there especially when you're doing it with others in, in the family i think there's joy there but i think the truth is that much of how god might be calling us to trust and obey him it may not reveal itself right away at, at least to our finite knowledge and the temptation that maybe some of you feel is, is if we don't feel it today or soon it must not be true or we might we must not be going in the right direction or maybe yo we're a failure we're not very successful but I want to invite you guys that as you consider investing into someone or something or some movement today that investment won't always bear the full fruit tomorrow but guys here's the countercultural part of it that might actually be very much in line with how we see God and his kingdom work throughout his story that's actually normal it's not all Instagram famous, like you do something and right there you get like notoriety and it seems like everything's happening. The ways of God, he absolutely wins. We know we're on the other side of it. Our king is one. But our experience of that, it might not always feel like a win, especially if we're tempted to see success by how the world defines it. Because again, our world is all about the spectacular. I mean, that's Instagram, right? Yeah, that's TikTok. That's all about the things that'll wow everyone. It's all about the things that will make everyone applaud and want to give you like notoriety and say, yo, you are killing it in this life. You are, man, you are like, you know that you. I mean, I, and I don't think this is just the world. I think this is Christians too. Sometimes, and again, I'm not, I'm not dogging on this too much. Maybe just a little bit, but sometimes I, I what i observe it's like even for christians like it's all about going out and doing something like so crazy for god like that no one else could ever do this and it's all about what you can accomplish and 
man, I, I think about some of these big Christian conferences, and I'm, I, love, I love Christian conferences, don't, but like, I think they would go out of business if they just put their tagline, like, you know, instead of, like, only something that our generation can accomplish, like, something like, yeah, come to this conference and spend all this money so we can teach you how to live a really ordinary present life, and maybe never get very famous, <laughs> but be faithful. Like, no one would come to that! And yeah, so hear me, guys. I'm, I believe the God I, I, the God I look at in the scripture, I believe he's absolutely deserving of a radical response. I'm not saying that we don't go all out. I'm not saying we shouldn't try to do something crazy that, like, he's God. He absolutely deserves that. But maybe, and I've been doing a lot of thinking on this, maybe we need to rethink what radical means. Maybe we need to think what sold out really looks like for the Christian. Uh, I was, I've been listening to these podcasts. He's actually um, a guy I've known pretty well, Mike Cosper. Um, and he, he's done this podcast. He had another church leader, Russ Moore, on recently. And, and this just really stuck with me. Um, they were discussing how over the past 15 years or so, that there has been this kind of move away from having churches associated with the graveyards there. Maybe some of you know what I'm talking about, that when you see old churches, what did they always have next to them? A graveyard. Because it was supposed to be this reminder, and they said this one line that just has stuck with me, that the purpose of our gatherings should be to prepare people for their encounters with death. Like, and again, some of you are thinking, yo, who brought this joker in here? I came in here for my, like, weekly pep up so I can go hit a hard world, and you're like, this guy's just bringing me down here. It's all right, I'm only here today. But man, I, I just think that's wisdom. I actually think that's joy. I actually think that, like, clarifies why we do what we do. And, and I hope you guys know, as I'm talking about mortality, for us, past couple years especially, this has become a very real topic that I have had to dig into. Like, the life we live and everything that the world promises you. Give everything you have. Be devoted to this. Sell out for all these things. And, and they're not even all bad. But in the end, this life in this flesh it comes to an end for every single one of us in different times, but the one end is the same. And, and that's, I don't think that's meant to be a downer, but for the Christian, that's actually meant to clarify. That's actually meant to, meant, meant to give focus. It's actually meant to say, don't joke around, but you realize this life is precious. And with the few years, months, days, hours that God has given you, what are you going to do with that today? What are you going to do with that today to invest in things that may outlive you? That even as a church comes together, part of the beauty is as we've done, we should, we should be encouraged in a hard world. We should have uh, encouragement that's supernatural. That when the world is collapsing around us, that we're able to praise and celebrate exuberantly, genuinely. And the world looks at us and say, what? Well, yo, y'all, y'all on something? Because this is kind of strange. How are you celebrating? And we're able to do that. But it also allows us to be able to face death and face even the things that frighten everyone. And say, it's going to determine how I now live in faith. Live with purpose. Because maybe the most radical thing we can do in our world is believe that God has given each of us this one life and that it's going to end one day. And if that's true, how should we live today? 
And, you know, for me, I'm struck with how many of the things that the world calls us to invest all that we have into that are so temporary. So many of the things that the world invites us to give all of our passion, all of our money, all of our heart, all of our soul. And again, they're not bad things, but they're so temporary. It's like Ecclesiastes has become my favorite book, and that's probably describing where my heart is, right? But man, I, it's, just, it's, it's like these things, and again, they're not really even bad, but so much of it is like smoke. It's like trying to grab these things, and when it says meaningless, I don't think it means that those things are not of worth, but what it's saying is that the, the worth you're ascribing to it, you're looking at it incorrectly. They can't fulfill what you're looking to. They're not eternal. They're temporary. It's like I say in our church every so often, when's the last time you talked about your great-grandfather? And, I'm, you know, I'm going to use my language thing to say, I don't even know who my great-grandfather is. Or I can't remember his name. But, I mean, a lot of us. Who is your great-grandfather? We don't know. It just reminds us in humility, life is so temporal. Life is so temporary. The things that seem so important, that seem so meaningful, the things that we feel if we don't have down, the world is going to collapse. Actually, God keeps moving. He's good. And he invites us to live faithfully in that span of life he's given us. But guys, it's also temporary. We all get forgotten. And again, I would suggest that it's wisdom to live like that's true especially as we consider the nature of what success looks like in our world. What are we giving ourselves to? And maybe we need a radical recalibration of what success is, even for good church people. Um, part of my work, aside from our church back in Baltimore, is I actually work to help start new churches, work with church planters who are looking to start new communities in Baltimore. And I, I'll fully acknowledge you, I might just be really bad at my job, but one of the first things I tell these guys, especially the ones who are looking at certain neighborhoods in our city, is, yo, you need to know that what you're signing up for here, you are going to, like, work hard, you're going to beat yourself, you're going to be, like, scraping and scrapping, and you're going to be crying at night, your family might even go through some really hard times, you might have your kid's bike stolen, you might feel like you're faithless— you might never see the fruit of what you're working for in your lifetime. <laughs> Again, maybe that's, I'm just bad at my job. I should probably motivate them. But that, I mean, because what I want them to know, and again, I hope you don't judge me as, a, uh, as little faith, but the reality in a city like Baltimore, particularly some of our neighborhoods, is a, a cool little block party, or like, and again, I'm not trying to make fun of anyone, maybe a little bit, but like your hip, cool church with like these nice craft coffees or like cool like initiatives. Yo, I don't know how much difference it's going to make in Baltimore. Like where there have been like generations and generations of systemic injustice related to race and poverty and economic and educational inequity. Your cool little initiative, it might not make that much difference. And again, I believe God can do anything in a moment. I, I believe he could. He's the God of the scriptures. But I also believe that one of the most powerful things we can do is just be faithfully present. And I encourage these guys because one of the things I walk with them in a lot of counseling is so many of them struggle with failure. So many of them struggle with feeling like they've invested everything and it's not happening the way. The church is not blowing up and growing. People aren't, like, they're not getting, no one's writing articles about them. 
No one's like doing podcasts with wanting to know, hey, tell us how you kept the church at 15 for three years. Because even in the church world, if we're not careful, we define success by some of the ways of the world. But what I tell them, and I genuinely to the face, I mean, you are a hero of mine because you're being faithful in a really hard context that some others aren't, and God is honored by your faithful presence. And it is making a difference. And you might not see the full extent of that on this side of glory, but God is moving. Because what I also tell him is, yeah, we want to see fruit today, and I think that's appropriate. But guys, you see that little kid over there? You're planting seeds that you hope are going to be bearing to fruition in that kid's grandkids down the line. Like, that's what we're also working for in Baltimore. We, yeah, we want to do good faithful ministry here, but we're also investing in things today that we believe in God's economy, he's going to bear full fruit probably way after most of us are dead. In Baltimore, at least, I know Philly's similar. That's in many ways why we do what we do. Again, this is a real countercultural message, and again, not just to the world, but to the church. Because so much of what we hear in the church today, and again, I believe some of this is actually true, right? All your dreams come true, how he can bring you great prosperity, how he can, like, awaken the true inner you that's just meant to be fabulous. And Again, I believe some of that's really true. I believe there's, like, purpose to be found in knowing God. But I also believe that God will do far greater in and through you than we could have ever dreamed possible. But some of that will happen long after we think we have been effective. It will be leaving, it will be in leaving an amazing legacy of faith. Because here's the thing, the way that faithfulness might look like in your life may never seem very spectacular. It might even just seem really ordinary. I mean, I see some of you, some of the families in here got little ones. No one is ever going to, like, give you a medal for being a faithful parent of, like, a two-year-old. No one is ever going to give you, like, uh, applause at a thing. It's like, I saw how you sat through episode after episode of Bluey, like, over and over and over again. No one is going to, like, um, give you a trophy for, like, I know you got so sick of fat crayons after a while and you just wanted like normal crayons, but you stuck with it and you were there. That's just being a parent, right? That's just being fit. But I mean, some of you who are further down the road, you know that all that makes a difference. Even though you don't see it at the day, all of that makes a difference. So faithful obedience, living for a legacy, it might never seem spectacular in the world's eyes. No one might ever, like, prop you up as a huge success. Here's the crazy thing. Your faithful investment might even look like a tragic failure to the world's eyes. You being faithful, people, they might smile to you, but behind the scenes, they might go, oh, man, I'm so sorry for how their life went. Oof, they have so much potential. Oof. I mean, look, look, Check out the end of Hebrews 11 after all of these stories of faith, right? Look at middle of verse 35. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. 
yo, Renewal Church Mainline is never putting that on a bumper sticker, right? Join our church that you too can be sawn in half. You know, Lifeway is not selling any coffee mugs. Join the movement of God, and you can also have your head taken off. I mean, it, it, it sounds ridiculous. But guys, these are dear saints who suffering and martyrdom and their sacrifice, they seem to have lost everything in this world's economy. They look like the biggest losers of all time. We don't even know their names here. But the reality is they have left the most precious legacy, which includes you and I. Like, we are sitting here on a Sunday morning in 2022 talking about their legacy that's gone on generation after generation, even though no one will remember their names, no one will remember what they did except for the hardships they went through, but God used it all. God was absolutely at work. Because you and I would call to the same life of faith and legacy. How do we do that? Uh, look at the following chapter in Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, probably a really familiar verse for, for some of us, but uh, chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are so surround, surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Because guys, ultimately we see that this countercultural call to leave a legacy, to sacrifice, it's not just something that was given to us, it was also something that was lived out by the Lord Jesus himself. He wasn't just giving us the strategy and plans, he showed us through his own life and death and conquering with sin, death, and the grave. Because I guarantee you, we are on this other side. We know it's our hope. We know it's our joy. If you were there on that day in Calvary, you're like, man, what a waste. Wow, he had such potential. You remember how much he did? You remember how many people he fed? How many people he healed? But man, look at this. It's all in the ground now. Whoa. What a waste. Man, even his homies have all run away except for some of the women. These cats couldn't even stay with him. What a loser. Man. It, it didn't look very successful. I mean, it didn't. It just didn't. But one of the things that keeps me going is realizing that it was so successful, but it was countercultural. It was gospel-centered at its core. And that Jesus, he was setting with his followers to do greater things than even he did. Through his death. Because sometimes, like in my pagan heart, my, I'm like, Jesus, all of this would have been just really much more effective if you just stayed here the whole time and you traveled to every country and you told everyone about Jesus yourself. Man, because, you know, we screw it all up. We're a bunch of knuckleheads, right? You've given us this great message, but man, we fight with one another. We can't even get it straight. We fight with ourselves. Man, it would have just been so much more effective if you just did it. But what Jesus has said, nah, nah, my plan is I'm going to empower even all those losers that ran away. They're my plan. I'm going to bring them back home. I'm going to reconcile them. I'm, I'm going to call them out on it, but I'm going to remind them they're mine, and I'm sending them out. And now you and I, we are the recipients of that. Like handing off that baton over and over, generation after generation for thousands of years. Broken. Hurting. Doubt-filled people like you and me. It might seem like a loser's cause, but it's absolutely successful. Nothing that Jesus did was a waste. He doesn't invest in wastes. 
he shows us and models that there's never any waste when he gives to others for the sake of the kingdom. And some of you really need to sit in that because maybe you've been wrestling, questioning how you've given yourself to others. Maybe some of you parents, maybe you're really fighting hard wondering, has it been worth it? Or maybe there's regret or remorse or guilt. Wondering, man, or maybe it's even in church. Has all I've given made a difference? I mean, I think that's real. But we have to remember that the very legacy of Christ's faithful investment is handed off generation after generation until the Lord returns. And you, even in your wrestling, even in your struggling, even in your doubts and fears, are a great part of Christ's successful legacy. You know, as I think about legacy, I think about my dad, my, uh, my appa, um, you know, my daddy. And, you know, one, one story that my brother and I, we, we talk about it frequently. You might, you might have even heard it, right? We talk about Burger King a lot. Um, Burger King. <laughs> Some of y'all healthy, you don't even know what a Burger King is. It is one of those glorious fast food joints. Uh, I'm kidding, man. Don't eat too much Burger King. It's not good for you. But we ate a lot of Burger King as kids, though, so I don't know what that says for it. But I remember we would go to Burger King pretty regularly. Our appa, he knew we liked it, so we'd go to eat, uh, Joe and I. And, you know, you know Joe. He's a lot skinnier now, but he can eat, right? So we, like, I don't know, every summer, just eating all these hamburgers at Burger King, loving it, loving life. And one thing we, we noticed is that we would always look at him. He's never eating anything. Never. And we, and we dumb little kids, right? So we would say, so, hey, don't you want any Burger King? He's like, oh, yeah, I don't like that kind of stuff. I don't like American food. Or I, I you know, I, yeah, I don't, I don't like that stuff. We're like, okay, I'll put them in Burger King. <laughs> and obviously, as we got a little older, we started to realize, I mean, we weren't like, I, want, I use the words carefully. We weren't like poor. And I think some of that's because our parents, they did some stuff for us. No, but as I realized looking back, uh, we, we were, it was pretty tight. I mean, we were, a t- we were an immigrant family. Um, our, our appa, he worked in a factory his whole life, making machine parts. I mean, really hard work. So we were like blue collar family, making it. But we think that Burger King story for me, it, it really encapsulates like all of how we view him, that his constant life purpose, it seemed, was to sacrifice his own happiness and joy. God, I'm, I'm short a man like Burger King. But for him, that dollar he didn't spend, that was an extra dollar that could go toward flourishing his son. Because again, immigration gets a rap depending on what news station you're watching. Um, I, I hope I don't offend anyone here. Um, I love immigrants because my parents were immigrants. You ask any immigrant, hey, are, why are you coming to the country? No one's saying, yeah, because I want to get my clutches into this place and like steal as much as I can away from the good people. Almost every immigrant, you ask them, why are you going through all this hardship? What do they say? Y'all know, some of you, this is your story. It's our family. It's for the kids. We will go through hardship for our kids to flourish. And that's something, that's not even immigrants. That's like, something I think everyone can identify with because that's what you do. You're willing to take the hit so that those coming behind you can benefit from your sacrifice. Because as I think about Appa, and I'm just being honest here, 
I think there's very, I mean, we loved him, obviously, and his church, I'm sure, some people, like, they thought highly of him. But by no objective measure in this world's eyes would anyone have called him a success. No one knew about him. No one's writing articles. No one's, like, giving him awards for not eating Burger King. <laughs> but man, his legacy of success is, like, sitting right here that he poured into people like his son Joe and me. And I'll, I'll be, and this might sound heretical, so stay with me, but we didn't have many deep conversations about theology or doctrine. I mean, we had the whole language thing going on. We'd, I don't remember much like from our Bible studies or home worship, but I remember presence. I remember sacrifice. I remember him being there. I remember him probably could have done some other things with his time, but he chose to be with us as much as possible. And to this day, that's formed who I am and what I want to be with others. And it, 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 it I, I think it's, it strikes me. My dad, my papa, he couldn't speak much English. Really minimal, like, I mean, you're very educated in Korea, but I mean, he just, he came here, he didn't, he didn't know how to speak. I find it like um, crazy how God works, that my work now involves using the English language in different forms. To uh, help other people know about God. As, I mean, that's astounding that um, a man who couldn't even speak the language of this country, now his sons are being able to use that very language to impact rooms and places and groups that he never would have imagined he could have been. Guys, that's legacy. That's success. That's the very way of Christ, setting up those who come behind you to do even greater things than you would do by your own hands. So I'm sure some of you, you're thinking about people like you've had, like, that you've had like that in your own life and you're thankful for them. Maybe you even getting all emotional. Maybe you should call them later, right? Maybe you have great memories. I think in a room like this, I think it's also, no pro also probable that maybe some of us are in here and you didn't have that. Or maybe you feel like that's been some of your struggle, like you've, you've wrestled wishing in regret that you had certain figures in your life. You had certain people who could have done things for you that others have had. And, and, and you know, maybe you need to do some good work with that, sit in that and see what the Lord's it, it's okay to hold on to that, to bring it to God. Because maybe you're here in spite of not having others invest in you like that. But you're here. You're here. And maybe it's just God's mercy and grace on your life, but you're here. And this is something I've been telling our church since the beginning of the year. I saw this epic meme, like right around New Year's, and God speaks to me in memes, so. Kind of. Some, I'm joking, kind of, so don't. Don't send hate mail to pastors saying, why are you getting this joker up here? But I saw this epic meme, though, where it said, be who you needed when you were younger. I was like, wow. And that's been something I've just been sitting on as I count my days. Even the things I wish I would have had more, what's something I can give to someone behind me that I wish maybe I could have had more fully and be intentional about it? And guys, I think that's a tremendous word for a church like this. The reality, church can be about what we get out of it. And that's real. You're, you're meant to receive from the Lord. 
But part of being in a church community is also asking, God, for what reason have you placed me in this community? It can't just be for me to be spiritually fed and get nice and, you know, get big-headed with some good theology and doctrine. All that's great. But it's got to have an outlet. And one of the best ways the Lord grows us is by saying, look who might be coming behind you. Who are some youth kids in this church that they could really benefit from a presence of someone who's gone through some of the really hard things they're going through right now? That's not their parent. And just sit with them. Hang out with them. There's some young married couples in here who are like wrestling with, man, no one told us it would be this hard. They said all you have to do is love Jesus and marriage, marriage is going to work out fine. I'm thinking, man, I don't know if we're going to make this. And maybe if you've been at it, you can share with them. Yeah, it's real hard. But here's some stuff that's helped us. And whatever, what might it look like for us, for you to do that, not just in the church, but also in your neighborhoods, in your communities, in people who are just struggling to make it. Because one thing about living in America right now, in the world, is just hard for everyone. And just ask God, God, give me eyes for those around me. And again, maybe, you know, the call of the world is you need to change your whole city. Maybe just be faithful to one person. What would it look like for you that does something that maybe no one will ever celebrate? No one will ever bring you up on a stage. But God is honored as you faithfully live a life of legacy, to be present, to be obedient, to sacrifice for even one person. Maybe for some of you parents, the call, I know it is for me. I'll just be brutally honest here. I like getting my name out there. I just, I'm just being transparent because you're not my church, right? I, I, I like that. There's a part of my flesh that really craves that. One of the things that pandemic and illness has been really good for my soul is to crush all of that and say, you're going to be with your family like every day for a long time. <laughs> but it's been good because I'm thinking more and more, you know, all this great stuff that the world celebrates, that Twitter goes crazy about. I mean, that's all that's fine. I'm not saying it's bad. But sometimes what's really important is who's in front of you. Who is God calling you to be present to? And you know, again, I'm not saying hard work, promotions, success, all that. I'm not saying that's not important, but don't let that distract from what God might also be calling you to be and do to those who are right around you. Because success is what comes behind you. In a world that celebrates the spectacular, embrace the power of faithful presence, I would say the very ministry of Christ himself. Amen?